All right. I am now joined by Kubu Warinsky, uh, who uh, was, you know, we're delayed by just a few minutes because um, real heads will know that it's uh, whatever you have to get Kubu on the line. It's an elaborate process with codes and uh, password exchanges, uh, drop spots, uh, self-destructed messages. But, um, you know, we've got it all sorted out now. Uh, how you doing today, Kuba? I'm doing um, remarkably well, uh, all things considered. And um, sorry about that last dead drop. I didn't know there'd be so many spiders. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is the life we chose. Uh, yes, so I have, uh, I just saw uh, Dr. Kuba in, uh, in real life in, uh, in New York, over the uh, the weekend, uh, we have both had the plague since then. I'm not sure who gave it to who, or you know if uh, you know it tr- you know traces back to my shaking hands with James O'Keefe, or you know, or if it happened independently, or what the situation was. I did find it odd how um, James O'Keefe insisted on applying hairspray in public, and how he kept accidentally. Um, spraying it in the face of uh, any leftist that walked by, like oh, yeah, I'm so sorry, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly. So uh, I think you are much more over yours probably than I am mine. So I, that's my excuse in advance for being incoherent. But uh, but yeah, it's been an interesting uh, several days since all that happened. Uh, I've been uh, just. FYI, there's a bunch of background noise going on over there, but um, but yeah, since uh, it's been an interesting several days since all of that happened, uh, people who are listening uh, may be aware that uh, James, uh, without confirming or denying any of the other claims made about him just now, uh, that uh, that he did. This deeply bizarre uh, ambush interview thing, uh, like uh, minutes before we were supposed to go on stage, which which meant like minutes before he could have just asked me the same same question, right? Like he was going to sit right next, you know, next to me, you know, in front of a Broadway theater full of people. He could have made exactly the same points, but you know, he had to do it as a uh, as a backstage ambush, or it couldn't be a, a Project Veritas video. And, um, and he had this, uh, there's this kind of bizarre accusation about editing a video clip that we'd, uh, that we'd shown on GTA the, uh, the Monday before of an old Project Veritas video, um, that the way he put it was that we'd, uh, we'd doctored out, uh, the, uh, uh, a, a you know something like a New Jersey teacher you know using the the Edward what we actually you know did is we just played a clip I mean I guess what a clip is if you want to call that doctor it is part of a video which was pretty open that was a unedited first fifty four seconds about thirty percent before the part he was talking about which only took up twenty about 30 seconds before the part he was talking about, which only took up 20 seconds of the rest of the video. And it wasn't even like original footage. It was that a teacher essentially relayed a rumor about something that had happened, which if it had happened also seems, you know, 
fine to me that somebody could do something bad and and that the uh, the union would like help them through the process when they're being disciplined for it. But uh, in any case, uh, since then, the last several days have been interesting for for me. Uh, since uh, at the same time as uh, having COVID and all that, there's this sort of vast troll army of Project Veritas super fans who have been uh, been activated by this. Um, and I will say, um, you know, some of these people are like, you know, they're you know, I, I don't want to stereotype them like. You know, people ask me sometimes, uh, like, what the sort of right-wing arguments are that I take most seriously or that I'm most impressed by, and I, I think I might have some some new contenders now. Like, on a uh, Instagram post the other day, I saw a uh, Project Veritas fan uh, just, just comment on our post. Um, it was just a single, you know, it was, it was like a single compound word, but, I mean, I think that the... Sometimes the best, most impressive arguments are, you know, can be expressed with that kind of brevity. It was just Christ killer. So it's like, all right, you know, there, there you go. I mean, that's that's some food for thought. You know, there's been a lot of, I've. Are you sure that um, he didn't mean to say Christ killer, and uh, it was because of your very well known um, political character assassination plot against the former? Um, Yeah, former New Jersey governor, uh, Chris Christie, right? There you go. Uh, Well, that could be it. That could be it. Uh, If so, it's even better than I thought it was. Uh, But uh, there has been been quite a bit of... uh, uh, quite a bit of that sort of thing uh, in in the last several days. But uh, I'm bored just talking about it now because I've been thinking about it since this... uh, since this happened, so what's uh, post uh, post New York? What have you been doing? The I I've been helping revise a manuscript on Islamic finance, um, canceling some deep state meetings because uh, what's one thing to spread COVID to? Uh, fringe leftist groups, but sure. another to bring it into the heart of the Death Star. Um, that would just be irresponsible. Um, yeah, I mean, we live in a society. And um, then I scurried back as quickly as possible to my undisclosed location um, to try to get over um, the plague. Um, as much as I've been trying to turn it into a mask of the Red Death type uh, nihilistic debauchery, it turns out that it's uh, it's hard to rustle up that kind of crew when you're like, yeah, I've got COVID, but it's not so bad. Uh, I would be <laughs> providing snacks. Right? So um, bring your eyes wide shut uh, style um, orgy bounds and uh, let's make it a good time. Yeah. Um... Yeah, there's a story I'm really tempted to uh, to tell right now, but I think at least for now I'm going to be good and not do it on air. So, um, so fair enough. Look, if anybody wants to uh, wants to call in, uh, cue us, uh, you know, cue us up. Please uh, go ahead and do that. Get in the uh, get in the queue. Um, so, 
Uh, I am a little bit, uh, we don't have to go on a whole extended dirty tangent about this, but just in a broad strokes, blurry watercolor sort of way, I am a little curious about the Islamic finance thing. So, um, one of my closest friends uh, that I've known, actually, I first met him as an undergrad at Harvard, um, and then we were both doing PhDs at Berkeley, and then we um, both ended up in Dubai on um, questionable research tours. Uh, he is up for tenure at Hopkins, and he needs yeah. to finish this goddamn manuscript, which he's been writing for years, and he's already written like 300% of <laughs> what he needs, but he just can't, like, get it over the finish line. And um, so periodically I'm tapped in to um, help his, help drag his ass through some, you know, new final deadline. And um, yeah, like if all goes well, then um, by the end of the summer, should be in the publisher's hands and his child won't need to grow up in poverty. But, there you, um, go. you know, anybody who knows Santeria or has truck with any of the spirits of the air, right, like some supernatural intervention at this point, um, would be most welcome. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I remember being at a, uh, many years ago, uh, when I was living in Miami, uh, being at a, uh, you know, cigar shop in South Miami, and I was just looking around, and there's the guy at the counter who was talking on the phone, and, like, I could sort of half-hear his conversation. I wasn't paying that much attention. And then I, I remember him saying, uh, so gonna, your guy's going to come over, right? It's like, okay. Uh-huh. And, then it, and then, like, I heard, you know, your Santeria guy. I was like, what does he want the Santeria guy for? And um, and I I would still love to, to know the other half of this conversation, but, our, but I, I distinctly heard the phrase anti-gay spell by the end of it. So I was like, all right, there's a, there's a story there, you know, that I'm not getting. The... Um... I like the idea that um, the woke imperative for respecting Afro-Caribbean religion and the woke imperative <laughs> against any kind of um, conversion therapy for gay people. Um, Might be a conflict there. <laughs> exactly. It turns out that that's the loophole that the religious right can go through. And you end up with like um, James Dobbs or whatever, Bill Hagee, any one of those um, evangelical um, mega-ministers converting their suburban uh, ministries into, uh, like, a Santeria practice. Just so can... <laughs> right, 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 right. Be unobjectionable now. Exactly. No, no, no. It's not. They're not praying to God. They're praying to one of the um, West African... Uh, pantheon, right? It's, it's all very above board, right? I have, I have permits for the chickens, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, also, uh, 
you know, keen, uh, keen-ear listeners uh, will note that the most remarkable thing about that story is uh, that uh, Kuba casually mentioned being an undergraduate at Harvard, and I'm still talking to him, you know, so I must really <laughs> like him. Uh, all right, let's, uh, we got a caller, um, in fact, uh, somebody who uh, was... Uh, uh, somebody who was at the event on Sunday and who I believe I heard through the uh, grapevine may have also had our fate since then. Uh, Strom, how you doing? Hey. Yeah, I wanted to ask, uh, Has everyone did everyone catch the virus in New York? <laughs> Seems like half of us did. Uh, not everybody. Um, Jason didn't, which is... Yeah. Which is unsurprising, Miraculous. actually. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Jason did it. Um, uh, you know, Norm Finkelstein did it, which is good, because that could have been bad. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, like a, a, ha- a smattering of people got it. I, I don't, there's no, yeah. there's no pattern that's obvious to me. Well, all I have to say is we now know that Kenneth Copeland is a peddler of snake oil because his exorcism of the virus from <laughs> humanity was not successful. I think we can all uh, say that now. Uh, I would I would challenge that because um, obviously no one listening to this program um, qualifies as part of humanity in uh, his particular theological take. Okay, so he's exiled COVID from uh, from from his version of humanity, from the uh, the righteous remnant. All like seven million of them. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, my, I will say my uh, I will say my my very uh, my very conservative, very religious in laws uh, got COVID, but that was before the exorcism. So you know, who knows. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, fair enough. So, uh, but you've, uh, <laughs> you did get it too bad though, for the sounds of it. Strom's, uh, voice, you know, that national treasure is intact. So we've managed to, uh, to avoid the worst possible outcome. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Oh, yeah, I think we might have accidentally taken Strom out. Yep, yeah, um, I accidentally hung up trying to mute my microphone. Yeah. Um, I had it pretty bad. Like, I had a secondary sinus infection that was Ugh. twice as bad as the virus itself. Uh, bacterial sinusitis is no joke, but I'd say I'm pretty much okay now. Like, one or two days of really unpleasant symptoms, and then just kind of kind of faded so definitely yeah. on the mend yeah i mean i'm 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 better i mean like i'm better than i was yesterday which is better than i was the day before but i would not actually recommend covid to anybody's considering it i would, yeah, I would no. actually my my suggestion would be that they not get covid uh but <laughs> uh but yeah fair enough um uh, so I do want to uh, I do want to maybe talk about the uh, you know the event itself a little bit. So of course uh, we 
you know, I kind of alluded to some of the fun of games on Saturday with uh, with James O'Keefe and uh, and Project Veritas and some of the fallout from that. Uh, I, should, <laughs> I should say uh, Kuba was in the audience for that, so so he got you know he he got a different perspective on those events. There was so much. Um, let me say that you know civility is not just dead in the U.S. <laughs> Congress, um, there was so much heckling. It was crazy. And, um, like, as soon as you came out, Ben, the, it was, it was obvious, like, you were the heel. Um, and you, it didn't matter what point was being made by James O'Keefe, or Tim Pool, the, the amount of cheering, um, was inordinate. And it got to the point where um, I started counter-heckling as much as I could. I mean, your um, your big uh, initial point was that unions are a way to protect workers from losing their jobs over um, free speech issues. Mm-hmm. And if you think about the way that the right makes martyrs of anyone... Uh, especially in the entertainment industry or in journalism, that um, experiences job loss as a result of a tweet or um, or a public statement, you'd think that that would be a place where, at least practically, <laughs> right, that might be good advice. You know, that's something that um, that might be actionable for some of the people in the audience who might be worried about their tweets being uh, grounds for dismissal. But they had they had no time for that. Uh, not interested in hearing it, and which gave me a pretty nice opening. Whenever Tim Pool spoke, I could just um, shout out "Fire Tim Pool." <laughs> uh, and whenever James O'Keefe complained about uh, losing a job or um, being persecuted, I'm like, "You need a union." <laughs> uh, it got uh, intense enough so that I would get shushed by a grandmother who was two rows behind me, but um, she wasn't enforcing the same kind of courtesy on any of the conservative hecklers for some which, reason. Which, I, which, which we should say, to be clear, it was like 99.9% oh, of yes. the heckling. You know, oh, yes, absolutely. The, it was, um, I was very much like uh, waging a, a hopeless, you know... Um, uh, insurgency, like, um, it was the, it was like I was Biafra against the entire Nigerian armed forces. Um, and yeah, like I assumed that her hearing aid maybe just didn't capture what was going on behind her or, uh, to her left or to her right. Or, <laughs> right. Um, In any direction, you know, except for you and Jason. Exactly. Yeah, I should. Um, I should say, by the way, from my perspective, the most frustrated at the time and funniest thinking back on it, uh, heckle that I heard in the entire debate, which was like by far, I mean far by far, the most like, just in terms of that kind of like crowd dynamic you're talking about, that sort of like pro wrestling feel to it, like way more like that than like anything like this I've ever been to in my life. Right. 
like I've I've done you know I've done several of these things in person, um, often with like audiences that you know tilted in the other direction from me, right? You know, like uh, or you know, like even like I don't know. I mean, I debated Gene Epstein at the Soho Forum at the Villages. You know, and there were, you know, there were like a few like Orlando DSA people who drove in or whatever, but that was like an overwhelmingly libertarian, you know, crowd. But like, you know, they, 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 you know, they were nothing like this crowd, right? Or like the, uh, I did uh, at the uh, Better Discourse Conference in Fort Worth, you know, like I had, uh, you know, I did debate that was similarly, like a panel that was similarly unbalanced, you know, and, I'm sure there were like very few supporters in that crowd, really, if any. But I mean, like this was I, for whatever reason, right? This was in a this crowd was on a very different wavelength. I don't know if it was because they're like, you know, their special heroes were there. You know, the James O'Keefe and Tim Pool and Tulsi Gabbard, who barely talked to the debate, but she was there. <laughs> um, but uh, but for whatever reason, they were just like especially. Uh, especially riled up and crazy. So, you know, from my perspective, the, yeah, the most frustrating at the time and funniest in retrospect bit of heckling was when, uh, James O'Keefe straining for a gotcha, you know, said, well, the FBI raided me and, you know, and, you know, even the ACLU said they shouldn't have done that, you know? So, so are you willing to condemn, you know, the FBI raided me? And literally the first syllable out of my mouth was, Yep. Uh, and then I, you know, because he's like, you know, because he's like the biggest piece of shit on the planet and he just ambushed interviewed me before we started and et cetera, et cetera. I did proceed to say like, you know, I've been a member on and off of the ACLU since, you know, I was about, you know, like, I think I said 19, but I really like 21, but whatever, you know, for, you know, for a very long time. Right. You know, the, um, and uh, and one of the things I always liked about the ACLU is that they had consistent principles and uh, defended even terrible people, you know, when, uh, when they were being uh, persecuted ways they shouldn't be. And uh, and somebody from the audience yelled out, "Answer the question!" And it's like literally the first thing I said was, "Yep." But uh, but I I guess you're just so hyped up, right? You're so much in that wrestling crowd mindset that you just yeah you filtered it out. Um, so that was that was amazing, but I should say. Uh, so we have another caller we want to go to in just a minute. But um, uh, while Straub is on the line, uh, Straub and Deep State uh, were both at the other event on uh, on Sunday, the uh, the book launch uh, party for uh, for for Norm Finkelstein's uh, book in uh, in Brooklyn, which was also. You know, two different panel discussions. I was on one. Kubu was on another. Um, and uh, and then, you know, an actual party uh, in uh, in between. So I, I would also be curious if either of you had any takeaways from that. I'll say that the Japanese grocery store up the street from Project Paul is pretty amazing. That's what I have to say. <laughs> but in all seriousness... Um, Really enjoyed uh, both panels. Um, Norman was amazingly outrageous, as always. Um, I I just really enjoyed myself, and as much as Kale uh, criticized me for being uh, uh, naive and optimistic, I I think you at the table when that happened. (laughs) Um, I was, yeah, yeah. 
I think it was the beginning of something big. I don't know how transformational or how huge, but I think sublation is going to play a big role in uh, assembling this movement and in developing proletarian class consciousness. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's my summation of the event. If you can do that, kick something off like that and have fun at the same time while discussing shit of that severity, then uh, I think you've won the game. So... <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I, I do remember. I do remember Straub saying something similar at the time, and and uh, and uh, former GTA producer, uh, current Jacobin uh, YouTube uh, YouTube producer Kale Brooks. Uh, you know, pouring some pouring a little bit of cold water on it, but uh, but you know, I mean, I don't, I don't. You know, I think that like. Yeah, look, I think it's, you know, I think sublation can, you know, make a good contribution and, you know, help bring some interesting ideas, a little bit more exposure and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I think it was a good party. What do you, uh, do you have any thoughts about that, Kuba, before we go to the next caller? Um, I think that we shouldn't go in with, um, expectations that anything particular will happen because under in this political environment in this cultural environment um anything is possible we've been off book from the course that responsible experts have been telling us was the the natural kind of post-cold war trajectory that's that's all gone. Um, we don't know what normal is, um, and we have to. Uh, we just have to do our best, and um, hope that makes a difference. And there's yeah. something incredibly heartening about seeing so many people um, in person. To that all want to be a part of the event that all are um, interested in what we have to say and who um, come out of um, all kinds of different backgrounds, uh, all kinds of different regions across the United States and other uh, other parts of the world. If we have that level of solidarity um if we can build off of that with this is our our starting point then um as objective material conditions change and by change i probably mean continue to deteriorate right then i think um at least we have a place to put out a different message, one that um, avoids the preoccupations of the culture war circular firing squad um, and really emphasizes the serious condition that we're in and the fact that solutions need to come from the outside. The same leadership class who has been 
crafting policy and uh, leading all of the peak institutions for the last 20 or 30 years, whose decisions have gotten us to this point, they are not what's going to um, solve the problems they created. And it's very difficult to build counter-institutions, but this is this is a step and I'm heartened to think that there's a lot of other individuals and a lot of other groups out there that when they encounter our ideas are receptive to, uh, to working with us and um, joining our yeah. community. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do. Uh, I also realized, by the way, there's a correction earlier in the chat that the, I, I stepped on your joke. You're of course referring to former uh, Florida governor, Charlie Crist, uh, but uh, better late than never. Anyway, um, I barely remember that guy. But <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah, no, I think that all makes sense. I mean, I think that the first part, you know, is, is what I'd really want to like sort of circle and underline, which is that you know we don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, like I, I had this very. Uh, you know, I did, I did this like very pessimistic Twitter thread like a, last week uh, about 2024 and all of that. But like the caveat that I gave at the beginning of it, which I think is important, is look, I'm going to say what I think is going to happen, but also you shouldn't take it very seriously because the last uh, the last seven years has been nothing but a nonstop parade of shit I didn't think was going to happen. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, I'll, you know, I don't think we know. I mean, I think the situation right now is, is God awful. Uh, and, um, you know, there are very few, like, um, you know, the balance of forces, what the left has to work with, what kind of left we have right now, all that stuff is really bad, but you know, things could absolutely change and, uh, and we don't know what direction they're going to change. And I think it is worth putting, you know, I think it is worth putting an alternative out there and, you know, and, and, you know, what takes root takes root. But, uh, so yeah, that all makes sense to me. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's get the other caller in, uh, Brian. You with us, Brian? Hello. Can you hear me? I can. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Um, no, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, long time listener, first time caller, as they say. Uh, actually, I mean, long, long time heckler and patron. Uh, you guys, uh, some of you all know me from the chat. I'm one of the Yodas, Yoda7104. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I am calling today because I like, uh, I, I, like I, I like the implication that there are 7,103 7, other Yodas. Right, you know, I will this tell is... you that, that the random number generator on the video game RuneScape gave it to me when I was in fifth grade, and it has been my email forever. So, fair enough. <laughs> there were there were uh, there was no uh, there was a Yoda one, a Yoda two, and a Yoda six six six, and then I asked the random number generator to do the work because I was eleven. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, hi guys. Um, I mostly want to talk about uh, the Labor Notes conference that I got to go to. And that oh, yeah. Was, 
absolute ball. Uh, it was great. Um, but I also wanted to like somewhat give the rather bizarre news um, that I was elected the president of the union at NJIT. Um, oh no shit! Yeah, yeah. I I sort of like put my hat in the ring on a whim because it's sort of an underactive and and somewhat like frustrating place and like. I, no, I told them I was an angry socialist in my candidate bid, and I won sixty forty. So, 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 what kind of union is this? Uh, the uh, the United Council of Academics at, at NGIT is a union of graduate students, postdocs, and adjuncts. Um, okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, although although this does. Uh, uh, <laughs> this does make you, uh, you know, in, in terms of the uh, the debate on Saturday, this this does put you into a especially uh, reviled category. You're a teachers' union need official in New Jersey. Yeah. Oh no. What was me? I I even have complaints about Chris Christie going back all the way to when I was a child. <laughs> Fair um. enough. But uh, saving the the swearing about the the, the, the clubs that I was in uh, and to the the teachers who uh, like were compromising intentions and so on, um, I uh, I emotionally like kind of think it's crazy. Uh, it's like it's the union NJIT, so like I'm I'm quite talking to directors folks, and and we we might want to talk shop when when we're not in public to tell you the truth. Um, but uh, I. In other words, in other news, I want to talk about labor notes because labor notes yeah, is please. a breath of fresh air. Um, I uh, the, the union funded me to uh, to go out to Chicago to uh, to hang out with four thousand other radicals who screamed every time you said the word strike. It was crazy. It was awesome. Um, and yeah, I've never quite been in an environment like it. Both like walking around and seeing folks that. Uh, that you know make the news all of the time, and just being able to see them talking and walk up and join the conversation and have nobody think it's weird. You know, Sarah Nelson, Jazz Brzezek, uh Chris Smalls, a whole bunch of uh, various labor journalists, etc. Um, and you know, we were just chatting rank and file stuff and and how to make our our unions more democratic. And there were, I think, two hundred and fifty panels um, about uh, from. Uh, ranging from like the new president of the Teamsters talking about how they want to strike FedEx to you know people like me in higher ed complaining about how everything is getting more adjunctified and horrible. Right. But it really did like. But we had there were also like folks from from Puerto Rico and from uh, and from uh, actually other countries, not just the colony, um, and who came and like told us about the crap that's going on in Mexico and Europe and. It, it like it was the first time that like I felt like in, in a the, a growing national wing of an international movement, and it, it it was really really cool. Yeah, that sounds yeah right. Uh, I well actually I had an interesting conversation about this uh, in um, with somebody from Jacobin. I guess I won't say because I don't know if he wants to be quoted saying this or not. You know, but who is who is at the conference and was who who is you know, enthusiast about enthusiast about how wonderful it was and, you know, we were talking about a lot of other things, but that was part of the conversation. And uh he said that in some ways 
you know, he thinks like labor notes uh, might be a sort of, uh, you know, how did he put it? Like sort of truer, more useful uh, inheritor of the kind of like uh, energy and political priorities and all of that stuff of like the Bernie Sanders campaigns that like DSA is right. You know, cause it's like, cause it's a, I, I guess the idea is just, you know, sort of being a, um, you know, being a kind of radical space that's like very, um, you know, that's like very focused on, you know, kind of concrete, uh, you know, like um, sort of accessible pitches for concrete material issues, I, I, you know, and, and, and maybe doesn't have some of the unhelpful preoccupations that, you know, infect a lot of the rest of, you know, the activist left. And to bolster that point, the the place actually felt like the Bernie Sanders coalition. Like the whole like rainbow was there. The whole like the the guy who like looked like my dad and and like with with the long uh, like union beard and everything and and like the, the random uh, uh, trans person with blue hair were all screaming about the same stuff and uh, it, was just, it was great. Very nice. Uh, well, that's awesome, uh, and uh, and and uh, congrats on uh, on the union election. Um, I uh, I also got I I spent uh, two years as a uh, uh, as a New Jersey teachers union official at uh, for the adjuncts union at Rutgers, which actually isn't even going to exist exactly anymore. Although it's a good thing, it's it's merging with the. Uh, you know the uh, the way the Rutgers faculty union worked for the longest time. The adjuncts were in their own separate little bargaining unit that was that was different from the um, uh, from like there's a single union that has there's there was a single full time union that had both like full time professors and also also graduate students in it and you know and, and now finally the the adjunct one is merging into that but. Uh, which you know, as I said, is a good thing, you know, because because I think uh, you know, obviously the uh, you know more uh, more bargaining power is good, and you know, and I had uh, and it was you know, in fact, towards the tail end of my time at Rutgers, I mean, I still, I mean, I'm still a member of the union. I still because I still like uh, teach the occasional online class for them, but towards the end of my time being there in person. You know, the full time union, you know, was like in really tense negotiations and like almost went on strike. And it was like always a really awkward question, you know, what we were going to do because, you know, with the legality of that, you know, because it wasn't, uh, you know, um, you know, like it's it's not quite technically legal to, uh, to, to, you know, because the United States has. Yeah, it has hideous reactionary labor laws that are like the worst in the developed world. So it's not quite legal to do that. But, you know, on the other hand, as I always told people, Kathy Burgess didn't raise any scabs. So, you know, I would have had to figure something out. But uh, in any case, uh, that's awesome. Just really quick on the on the Rutgers point. Um, I Because NGIT is right across the street from Rutgers, Newark, I, I am now in, oh. in much communication with the new folks who are uh, graduate students and who are adjuncts over there. And... Um, uh, they, you, you may be signing up for a, a bureaucratic and slow-moving thing that is frustrating the graduates, and I don't want to get anybody in trouble, so that's all I will say. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, you know, sure, could be, but, you know, even so. <laughs> so, fair enough. 
It is what it is. All right. I appreciate the call, Brian. Great checking up. All right. Uh, so, I don't know. Kuba, you have something to, uh, to, uh, to take us home for the end of the episode? Um, I think that one thing that came up in the event was the importance of understanding and, you know, I, I hate to bring in Carl Schmidt since he's <laughs> from the other. Yeah, exactly. But, um, <laughs> when I saw you talking to James O'Keefe, it was clear yeah. that there was, um, that that was not a real discussion. Yeah. The point of speech in that whole event was not to communicate any information. It was a tool of um, domination, a form of combat. Yeah. And neither Tim Pool nor James O'Keefe had any integrity in presenting information that they knew was true, right? And they would lie, and then if caught in a lie, they wouldn't admit it or try to address it or defend it. They would simply pivot to a different lie. Under those conditions, it's unclear what the point of the conversation is. I mean, there's an audience. You can reach them, and that's what you were trying to do. I understand that. With Tim Poole and James O'Keefe, of course, you're not going to change their minds. They're, they're, not, they're not there to listen. When we had our event, the, and you had that feeling that you're in a community, that yeah. you have a um, baseline of shared values, that you, um, people weren't there simply to, to score points or simply to yeah. uh, pursue other interests, other personal advantage um on the one hand it was um really refreshing and reassuring but it also highlighted how much gets lost in purity contests or in sectional fighting or in um the uh, moralism of um what we could call, you know, cancel culture or woke Twitter. Right. And if we're going to bring in new people, if we're even going to keep the um, coalition that we have, then we have to give each other the benefit of the doubt, treat each other like comrades, and um, take real concerns seriously Oh, Kuba, you you with us? Uh, these are oh, the uh, yeah, uh, yeah. It stuttered for me. The last thing I heard was "take real concern seriously" and uh, listen to each other uh, and not assume bad faith or um, or nefarious intent 
when you're hearing something that you don't like. Um, now, nobody likes to admit when they're wrong. Um, sure. But one of the great benefits of growing up in Canada was the a readiness of Canadians to apologize, uh-huh. admit they're wrong, move on. And I remember I was watching um, this show with Summer. It's like a Canadian um, murder procedural somewhere in um, uh, northern Ontario. The lead is the kind of classic older man with a tragic past, um, grizzled, strong, masculine, very grumbly voice, more passionate than his colleagues, kind of willing to do what is necessary. Yeah. He gets partnered up with a French-Canadian woman who's significantly younger. Um, they are, um, you know, uh, they're going into some location to confront a suspect. Uh, he He's told to wait. He goes in by himself. Anyway, the suspect gets away. The next yeah. day, they're driving um, together in a car, just the two of them. He's looking straight ahead, and he says, Look, um, I want you to know that you were right yesterday. Your advice was correct. You read the situation better than I did. I was wrong. Made a mistake. Um, my judgment was not as good as yours. And yeah. um, I'm sorry for that. And I'll uh, I'll take this forward into the future. And I'll listen. Unprompted. Nothing forced him to do it. Yeah. And this is a younger woman um, who's also a colleague of his. Like, it's potentially a vulnerability if you look at it through purely through the lens of resonated with who he was the sort of Canadian man and I also thought that in terms of modeling behavior for other people especially young men couldn't ask for anything better Um, and you know like the partner listened and it's like well you know thank you for saying that Um, and yeah, this is why we have to listen to one another. That was that. No humiliation, no end zone dance. Right. And I hope that that's the kind of community that we can be with one another. Um, Because no matter how certain we may be in our take on a particular topic or in our theoretical socialist lens, um, can we really be that certain? Right. I, I, I'm enough of a sort of philosophy of science guy yeah, to right. accept that, you know, everyone is wrong, myself included, and we're just groping towards the little bits of knowledge that might be less wrong. And right. you're not going to progress unless you can recognize when you've been corrected and there's 
no shame in that. Quite the contrary. The shame is in being obstinate and insisting against all evidence that, you know, um, the politics of failure will work again. (laughs) Well, I mean, to to go back to to one of the first things you said, I mean, I will say that, like... um, you know, I really did mean what I said earlier that 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 thing on Saturday was the most like that of certainly anything in person I've ever been to, and really maybe even if you count YouTube stuff. Um, like, uh, and even though, of course, the goal is not to you know convince James O'Keefe or Tim Pool of anything, um, you know that or like even with better interlocutors, right? You know, the uh the goal of a of a debate standardly, I think, is not to convince the other person on the stage. Uh, you know, maybe that'll happen very slowly over time, but I mean, you know, people are um you know but uh but most people, you know while they're having a t- conversation about very profound differences, there's too much ego attached, right, to uh you know, say that you're wrong and, and, you know, certainly when your entire personal professional, professional identity is like, you know, bound up with a certain political perspective. I mean, it's, you know, again, people do change their minds even on their, that level, even on fundamental issues, but I mean, it, it takes a long time and it's not a sort of normal, predictable thing. Um, so, you know, the goal is, is never standardly to convince the other person, but, um, but to convince the audience, right? Like you're, you know, to convince the, you know, the persuadable chunk of the audience, whatever percentage that is, who's actually up for grabs. Um, but so you're right about, I mean, you're right. I mean, that is my perspective on it. I will say the thing on Saturday, even given that perspective tested the limits of that, right? I mean, like, you know, cause it's like on the one hand, am I going to say no to get into, you know, talk to a Broadway theater full of people and God knows how many people after and, you know, and people who are going to like tune in to see these people and sort of try to put a, you know, a sort of left uh, perspective out there that they won't otherwise get. That's very hard to say no to, you know, and, and I, I'm, you know, very unconvinced by all of the standard sort of um, anti-debate, you know, considerations you hear on the left. But on the other hand, you know, on the other hand, like, you know, it is hard to convey just how bad that was, right? Like, like I had, um, like, I spent two hours having a, per- like, I mean, it was, like, very intense disagreements, and I'd like to think I completely destroyed his arguments and et cetera, right? You know, but, like, on the surface, I had a perfectly pleasant two-hour chat with Charlie Kirk, right? Like, you could have, like, that was... Like the the actual sort of like tone of the conversation was like that could have been like you know I mean that could have been like a I I don't even know like you know like like we were like um you know like an ex, you know an intense exchange and if did a Q and A and an academic talk or something right you know like that's uh and, and a, yeah a college disagreement. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like that was uh you know, I mean, it, you know, I I think I I think I made the case that I wanted to make for the persuadable people in in, in his audience, but I mean it was a, uh, you know, it wasn't there was no like there was no anger at any time in that, right? It was just like, well, Charlie, I don't think that makes sense cuz blah 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 blah. Okay, you know, like 
Um, and and normally, you know, that's 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 much more the the speed of things, right? I mean, I kind of knew this wasn't going to be even before the dramatic stuff happened beforehand because it's it's James O'Keefe, right? You know, and it's uh, it's a different you know it's a different thing, right? I mean, it's it's um, you know it's like it's just not um, you know. I mean, there are. Uh, I mean, there are people who, you know, there are people who, like, I could do, like, people who are, you know, maybe not quite, not, not as much on our side as just Carl Schmidt, but, you know, uh, there are people who are still solidly on the enemy side of the friend-enemy distinction politically who, like, I could, like, I could do a debate with. And I think it could serve the political purpose that I wanted it to. And then if they were like, hey, do you want to go get a beer? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll get a beer, right? You know, like, why not, right? But there are, you know, there, there are people who I would not, right? You know, because I, 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 I would find every, every instant spent in their presence odious, right? You know, and, uh, and James O'Keefe is, uh, is, is, is sort of one of the most defining members of the second category. But, like, I think you're, you're still right to highlight the, uh, you know, highlight the essential Schmidtian point, right? That it's like, so, so if you're doing a, even a vastly more civilized version of a debate with a right-winger, right? The, the point, right? as I see it is to, you know, mostly, I mean, there are a few points, but I mean, what you know, the, the main point, right. Is to, you know, show what's wrong with that right wingers arguments and, you know, and get a better perspective out there to, you know, to influence whoever can be influenced, uh, who's, uh, who's watching, right. That's the, at the best of times, right. That's the, uh, yes. that's the, that's the point. Um, Whereas, whereas in a, in a, in the Among Friends uh, context, um, you know, there's there's some, um, you know, there's some light disagreement on the, you know, on on the panel, you know, that I was in, and you know, and and I know there, are, you know, other disagreements, you know, come up, but I mean, like, I don't, uh, I'm perfectly, you know. It's just a different, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fundamentally different thing because you actually can, there is a, there is that, there is a much more serious potential, right? To be like, uh, you know, cause like if I were going to start agreeing with, you know, I mean, let's take the people on Saturday out of it, right? You know, but like, let's just say, you know, let's just say Charlie Kirk, right? If I were going to start agreeing with Charlie Kirk, well, one, you should worry that, you know, like you should worry about long COVID, but, uh, but even, yeah, yeah. Find like at least agree with Jordan Peterson. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, you know, if I started, yeah. Okay. Yeah. If I, if I started agreeing with Jordan Peterson, that would be like a, that, that would be like a real serious, like life change. Like that's that's um that's some like road to Damascus. Like I've I've like re, you know like clearly like something dramatic has happened and whatever that happens to people. But like that would be what that would be. Whereas like um you know whereas it's like I don't know. I mean if I you know if I like the the if I started to 
you know, agree with, you know, with like Doug Lane about all the shit that we disagree about. It's like, yeah, okay, that could happen. Right. You know, and that's, uh, and you should actually be open to it happening. Right. I mean, if you have like, if you, you know, I mean, if you're, you know, fundamentally, I mean, if you, uh, you know, if, if the worldview is similar and like, you know, and you've, you've, you've just got some stuff that you see differently then like, yeah, you know, that's, 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 a that is entirely within the sphere of things that should happen. And, and I agree. I think an understanding of that should, should, you know, an understanding of that should infuse your conversations. Well, and even with, um, even when it's kind of ideologically antagonistic uh, individual, um, and Charlie Kirk is not a great example, neither are Tim Pool or uh, James O'Keefe, uh, because they're they're not smart or serious. Uh. Um, but um, it is possible to encounter somebody who, and I find Christians um, like strong believers. Uh, Muslim strong believers too to be um yeah a, well actually actually I could do that uh Sora Bamari right I mean that's a that's a guy I I've read a little bit of I I know just a very little bit that guy is like super duper right wing right um but like you know I I don't think any of the things that you just said about those guys which I you'd notice I did not rush to disagree with. I don't think any of those, any, I don't think any of that, that would apply to that guy. I mean, I think that that's like, I think he's somebody who's like actually spends a lot of time thinking about this and like, just like sees the world in ways that I fundamentally know it and in some ways find kind of scary and, abh- and abhorrent. Uh, yeah. Although he's sort of oddly likable as a person, you know, but like, uh, you know, but he's certainly a smart guy. And, um, with individuals like that, right, the likelihood of changing their mind is even lower, uh, at least on right. a uh, on a kind of overall worldview level. But sometimes somebody can be wrong about eighty percent of what they think, and then that remaining twenty percent, be it like a particular. Um, empirical knowledge or a better theory about a uh, mechanism of, um, you know, social uh, change or economic change or uh, political structures. Um, sometimes their model is better than yours. Right. And uh, the f- reason we have Gramsci is precisely because um, of that kind of intellectual uh, contact with ideological antagonists. Specifically, he was locked up by Mussolini. The only um, books on social theory, political science, economics that he could access while in prison were ones that fell into the um, fascist Italian right. uh, perspective. He read Pareto and uh, Mosca, who were um, right-wing theorists of elite politics. And they, that encounter um, helped develop the I- idea of um, the hegemony of concepts, the um, r- importance of counter-elites, the 
war of position and the war of maneuver. They were wrong on uh, many economic issues and their values were off, right? They uh, were firm believers in hierarchy, for instance. Um, but on this, um, in this area, they were actually um, innovating um, and had important contributions to make. So, but again, you know, I, they are so, uh, so Rob Amaris, they're not Tim Pools. Yeah. And the um, one issue with people getting so much of their political education and engagement from the internet is that it plays into the hands of um, the Tim Pool, James O'Keefe sophistry rather than the let's take an hour to do a real deep dive with some challenging ideas and see if we can come up with a dialectic synthesis. 12 likes. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Um, all right. Uh, well, before we all log off and read some books, uh, let's just, uh, I will say, um, you know, I do have the plague and I probably cannot stay up more than another few minutes, but let's just real quick take Andrew. All right. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. I'm awesome. I just had a couple comments. I was, I just tuned in and I was listening to what you said about uh, right wing and left wing, or what, uh, people on, on the right wing or whatever. Um, so one thing I noticed about the conversation that surprised me is that you were referring to people instead of actual policy. In my experience, uh, most people aren't really on a right wing or, or a left wing, at least like, in, especially where I'm from. I'm from Alaska and Idaho. And so in Alaska, most people are independent, like over 50% of the people are independent. And um, a lot of like Republicans actually are anti-war and pro-universal health care and anti-imperialist. And so there's actually a lot of ground that is shared between populists who are anti-imperialist, universal health care and anti-war uh, across the spectrum of all, politi all political uh, affiliations. And, uh, you know, I've experienced that firsthand on the on the ground as an activist. But the in in uh, you know rural and red Republican areas. Um, so uh, another thing I recommend watching is the Republican National Convention in 2016 when they had the Benghazi veterans come in and explain what happened at the embassy in Benghazi and how Trump used his anti-war uh, rhetoric to to be the anti-war and the pro-peace candidate and how you know that was one of the major selling points of his, his campaign. Um, about, you know, about 15 minutes in, they talk about how the Gaddafi loyalists, I forget the exact time, probably not 15 minutes, but they talk about how the Gaddafi loyalists were the ones who were defending the U S embassy in Benghazi, Libya, the people who were there. So it was really interesting. And, uh, you know, obviously Hillary was the one who was ignoring ignoring that so anyway so that that was part of that campaign and so there is a lot of commonalities between 
um, people on the ground. And the, the other thing is just a random question I'd like to um, I'd like yeah. to ask you guys is uh, do you understand how uh, exchange rates are set or do you think that you understand how exchange rates are set? Well, I, I do want to. Uh, I don't know how much I have to offer on the exchange rates, but I, I do want to. I do want to address the first part of what you said. Um, I would make a couple of distinctions, right? You know, between the sort of level of what we were talking about earlier, which is sort of um, you know thinkers, maybe uh, like Sorab or some of those Italian examples, or at least pundits, uh, your your Tim Pools, your Jordan Petersons. On the one hand. Right. And uh, or or even like politicians, you mentioned Trump uh, and and just ordinary people. Right. So I think that the because um, I think that you have to approach approach those categories in very different ways. I think that most people uh, most people are a little all over the place. They have, you know, they have uh, inconsistent patchworks of views because you know, most people have, you know, political impulses, they have political reactions to things, but um, they haven't really thought about it enough for those impulses and reactions to, to cohere together into an internally consistent worldview, which means that you have stuff to work with, which is maybe some of what you're getting at, you know, with your, with your setup, but, uh, but, you know, but it's, it's a, you know, it's it's always going to be a weird mixture in practice, right? So you shouldn't. I agree that it's a it's it's a mistake when talking about ordinary people to to invest too much necessarily, at least until you like get to know where somebody's coming from a little bit more in their initial labeling, right? I've met people who you know call themselves conservatives, but then you know, ten minutes into the conversation, they've endorsed the entire Bernie Sanders twenty twenty platform. Uh, you know, when you ask them about individual issues. Uh, so I think that all of that's true. I would caution a little bit if we are talking about the level, not of ordinary people, but of politicians and pundits. Uh, I would, I would caution a little bit about, um, you know, sort of peering behind the, uh, the anti-interventionist, uh, wrapping paper, right. To see what's actually inside. Right. I mean, uh, so, uh, you know, I wrote a content. I wrote an article about this for Current Affairs a little while back, in the context of the the vote against um, uh, the the Ukraine uh, aid package. Um, that uh, that and you know, people say, "Oh, see, all these like progressive Democrats voted for it," and you have your Josh Howleys and people like that who voted against it. So those are you know the real anti-imperialists. Uh, and you know, I, I got into a lot of the evidence in that article that if you really start looking into the views of these Republicans voted against it, they're actually not very anti-interventionist in general. The name of that article is "Congressional Progressives Need to Do Better on Foreign Policy," but that doesn't mean uh, Republicans are doves. I think that was the full name of the article. And like, I would specifically say on um, on the um, you know, I would specifically say on, on Trump, right? I mean, I think Trump is a really great example of this because Trump, it was incoherent. There was some extremely pro-imperialist stuff in, uh, in the 2016 campaign. He, he said he was going to take the oil, right, you know, from countries that the U.S. had invaded, you know, had invaded. Uh, he, uh, he talked about torturing the families of, uh, of suspected terrorists. Uh, but, you know, he did say, you know, he did say some very anti-war sounding stuff also, 
And that's true. In, 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 many, in many ways, he did run that way. That There is some truth to that. Uh, but then I think it's it's really striking to to look at his record in in office, right? I mean that the uh, that he uh, he tore up the Iran nuclear deal. Uh, he uh, he he assassinated Soleimani and brought us closer to the brink of war with Iran than we've been since the 1970s, probably. Uh, he uh, he he doubled uh, the rate of drone strikes in uh, in Yemen and eliminated a lot of the as inadequate and in some ways kind of laughable as they were, you know, some of the safeguards on like procedurally on how the drone war works that have been put put in, you know, put in under Obama, you know, so I mean, I think in, in a lot of ways, I mean, I think foreign policy was parallel to domestic policy, right, that he would say he would make these like vaguely populist noises on domestic policy, he would say. Well, Trump was emasculated by the deep state and I mean, he He's not. Um, I mean, he's he's. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he's he's garbage. Like, I mean, he's he. I'm. He had no control over over what was going on. I mean, the like, for instance, the the last time a president had control over over the Department of Defense was probably when they killed JFK. You know, and so when they killed JFK, it was because he didn't didn't want to send the Department of Defense into the Bay of Pigs. So they turned around and they killed him. And now the CIA and the, which works for the central bank, which leads into my question about if you know how yeah. the rates are set, um, the, you know, that, um, sort of apparatus is what controls the military and the, what, um, why don't I, um, and why don't and, I pick up, on the uh, exchange rates and I'll give you my understanding um, which uh, you may not or may may or may not agree with but the uh, sort of standard account now that we have floating interest rates um, floating uh, exchange rates in the Bretton Woods period there was a currency peg now there isn't which means that um, the value of a particular currency uh, with respect to others uh, has to do with the relative inflow um, or outflow of um, of uh, money denominated uh, used to purchase um, securities denominated in um, those currencies. So. So you don't know. So so they've brain. So they're brainwashing you into thinking uh, that. Okay. Okay. I'm just gonna. Um, I just muted him, but I don't know. Um, I tried to mute him anyway. Let's do. I I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to interrupt Cuba in the in the middle of uh, in the middle of what he was saying. Uh, yeah. So, for instance, um, there was an expectation that the ruble would collapse as a result of all of the sanctions uh, imposed on Russia. Um, as individuals holding assets in rubles dropped them and tried to convert um, into other currencies that wouldn't be subject to those same restrictions so that they could trade freely. Um, however, because of the uh, increased energy prices and the fact that Russia could require um, those purchases to be made in rubles, that actually drove up demand for rubles, 
and uh, the ruble is uh, stronger now than it has been uh, in a long time. Um, the Japanese yen, on the other hand, is plunging, and that has to do with the fact that people who are holding yen assets have been selling them um, for uh, assets in other currencies. And when one says people, I mean, that actually shouldn't be a term. Uh, I sh should have found a better word because we're talking about major institutions, uh, central banks that hold uh, the debt of other um, of other currencies of other countries um, or large international banks that have uh, balance sheets composed of um, assets in various currencies. So the movements have less to do with individual consumers or, you know, somebody going on a trip and buying euros for dollars in order to purchase a gelato. Um, it has to do with these peak financial institutions um, making their own calculations as to which stores of value are risky, which ones are uh, more likely to be stable, and um, where they can find uh, better returns or investment opportunities. And that's the orthodox economic uh, view on uh, exchange rates in an open market. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, I'm, I think I'm going to make a call here because it's, um, on the one hand, uh, all else being equal, uh, I would say this is, uh, this is just, uh, this is just getting to a point that might be, uh, might be a discussion for the ages, uh, to, uh, depending on how it goes from here. Uh, but, uh, but I'm actually, we've been, uh, I've, I did this with the intention of doing it for 30 or 40 minutes. And, uh, as is so often the case, the, uh, the discussion was so interesting, uh, that we, uh, we ended up going for well over an hour, but, uh, I got COVID and I'm crashing. So, uh, I'm going to, uh, I, I think <sighs> here, let's give, uh, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do. Uh, let's bring back on Andrew and do like 45 seconds of, of, of kind of recapping his point, uh, you know, or like kind of finishing up his point, but then I really, am going to have to pull the plug on tonight. Cause, cause we, uh, this is, uh, you know, I need to, uh, I need to go to bed. So, uh, and it's been a, it's been a long and interesting episode. So let's, let's do, uh, let's do a final 45 seconds from Andrew. Okay, so my point is that all that stuff that you just said doesn't tell you what the algorithm is for those events. So you do not know if any of those events occur from this country to that country, what impact that would have numerically, numerically on the exchange rate. So there's no open source algorithm. There's We don't know who wrote the algorithm, computers just interpret the code that humans write. Therefore, there is somebody who is creating an algorithm that 
returns the value and sets the value for these exchange rates, these algorithms are not known. You do not know how the exchange rate works. If you think you do, you are completely brainwashed because you just said a whole bunch of stuff and you, you have no numbers, you have no numerical evidence to show how the the exchange rate was set initially. You have no numerical evidence okay. to show how it changes. And it is ridiculous to me if if you can't see that. And um, anyways, people are intentionally brainwashed to think that they know how the exchange rate works and they don't. And that's why I wanted to ask the question. And and that's all I had to say. But it made me mad when you cut me off because I was about to tell you this about 20 minutes. Well, I well, babbling, start babbling about all that nonsense that that's intended to brainwash people into thinking that they know how the exchange rate works and they don't. But you cut me off. And so so that made me upset. OK, and maybe avoid brainwash. Yeah, yeah, I would tell me my tell me my advice. Uh, the uh, if you uh, if you're going to interrupt somebody in the middle of uh, in the middle of answering your question and use the word brainwash, you probably are going to get cut off. Uh, that is the uh, that is the way uh, that we customarily exercise the iron fist with which this uh, this this college show is run. But in any case. Uh, Iron Fist has been exercised. Uh, <laughs> so um, that was an interesting way to uh, to end the show. But uh, thank you as always, Kuba. You were great. Thanks a lot, Ben. Uh, take care. Take care. Uh, I will just uh, let anybody listening know. So uh, for various reasons, uh, even before this, you know, Fourth of July. Uh, there's going to be no regular show on YouTube tomorrow. There should be, I hope, if I'm feeling better, there should be a debate breakdown on Thursday. There will definitely be a regular episode a week from Monday. I will see everybody then. Left is